If you'd like to go ahead and take your Bibles out, excuse me, take your Bibles out and open them up to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 12, we want to look at the words of Jesus here as he spoke to the Pharisees and he says in verse 33, either make the tree good or its fr- and its fruits good or else make the tree bad and its fruits bad for a tree is known by its fruits. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Jesus is saying here that we should take our speech seriously. He says in verse 36, we are going to be held accountable for every idle word on the day of judgment. And in verse 37, we will be condemned or we will be justified based off of our words. Now for anyone, that should be sobering talk. That should be something that causes us to stop and to reflect and to contemplate on the type of language and speech that we use. It is imperative, then, that we keep our speech in keeping with the standards of God. Around this time, people are going, uh, you know, as, as we get into to spring, it's not uncommon for people to start scheduling wellness visits at the doctor. Go and get a checkup. The, the, the cold weather, the cold flu, and flu season are behind us. How am I, how am I doing? How, uh, physically, how, how well am I? Try this again. The standard in which we talk uh, is, is going to be the standard in which we are judged upon. Are we choosing to speak in, under the standard of God? Or are we choosing to speak under the standard of men? And so when we do this, as we consider how well do we talk, maybe we would do well to consider the fact that there are different types of talkers. Types of talkers for us to consider and for us to think that we we could possibly be a part of. Maybe one of these talkers might even describe us. Hopefully one of these talkers will describe us, but which one? The first one I want to consider are the irreverent talkers. That is to say those who speak of the Lord and use His name in ways that are less than justified, less than glorifying Him. To consider that, let's look back over to the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 20, we have the giving of the, the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. And, and as they are receiving these commandments, one of the commandments that is given to them, down in verse 7, says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now the children of Israel held to this commandment quite strongly. In fact, they, they got to the point where they were afraid to even use the Lord's name in any sense, even in the sense of, of glorifying Him, and afraid that they might somehow use it in a vain way. So they started to, to refer to Him in, a, in a, a phrase that really couldn't be uttered. We, we call it Yahweh. It was the, the, uh, in, our lang- or in our alphabet, it's just Y-W-H-W. Uh, it's a word that can't really be pronounced. But this was the way that the Israelites would refer to God for, for fear of violating this command. Take, do not take the Lord your God's name in vain. They held this as a very important part of their life. 
And that is because they understood, as the book of Leviticus reveals over and over and over again, that God is holy. God is more than the things that are of this earth. He is more than the circumstances of this life. He is far above all things that we can even comprehend. And we are called to be holy as He is holy. And so they would be, take great care with the use of His name. Now, for those that are described today as irreverent talkers, they are those who misuse the name of the Lord. They have an attitude of using it without sincere respect for who God is. And there are many ways in which one can be guilty of this. But two that are primarily found today, probably the most vile of them all, the one that causes the most concern is whenever God's name is associated with some form of, of swearing or cursing. When we see that happen, when we see people that, that use words like the word damn, which we know, under, we understand that word refers to condemning something to hell, is the way that is used throughout scriptures. So that word alone, every time you hear that word used, we need to understand that, that what we're actually talking about is placing ourselves in a place of judgment, a place that says this is something worthy of going to hell. And I think all of us would agree that that's not a place that any of us deserves to be, but would really even desire to have the responsibility of being in that. But also when you conjunction that with the misuse of the Lord's name and put those words together, you're taking, you're, you're taking this whole, to a whole new level because really what you're doing is placing yourself in the place of God. We need to be very careful with the way we choose our words. And so many Christians would look at that and say, oh, absolutely, I would never associate God's name with curse words or swear words. That's a terrible thing. But so oftentimes we do find people who misuse the Lord's name in a vain way, use it in vain repetitions, or use His name carelessly. A very, very common phrase when, you see, when someone sees something that maybe it, it, it is um, you know, shocking to them, or it is, it is sometimes even very pleasing to them. But you will hear them use the Lord's name saying, Oh my God. Those words are not bad words. I think it's sometimes that we get the mindset that that's, a, that's a, a bad phrase when we hear people say it. But rather, the way in which they use those words. Associating God's name with things that are just carelessly uh, thrown throughout our lives. You, you see it in, in, in uh, language online, OMG, uh, and, and different sorts of ways in which people take God's name and turn it into nothing more than a mere catchphrase. It's just something that describes my, my excitement for this situation or my fear for this situation. We need to be very careful with the way we handle God's name because God deserves much more fear and much more reverence than to just throw his name out there and associate it with all sorts of happenings in our lives. And I, this also applies not just with the Lord's, with, with our Father's name, but also with Christ's name. Turn over to the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, in verses 9 through 11, look at the way that God associates Christ's name with things that are higher, things that are nobler. He says in verse 9, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Whenever we use God's name, whenever we use Jesus' name, we need to remember that we are referring to them to their glory. And so how are we using their name? How is our talk reflecting of them? This sort of irreverent talk is common today in everyday speech. We see it all around town. We probably see it amongst our friends, amongst our co-workers, even our family members. But it's especially prevalent in entertainment. It's one of the things that we look at whenever we're looking for movies for our children to watch. Is how do they use the Lord's name? If it's something, if it's a phrase that they just throw in there to fill space, that's not a movie that we're real comfortable letting our children watch. This is the type of talk that is, again, very common today. Another type of common, uh, common speech today is evil speech. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 10, Peter says, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. <coughs> Excuse me. Peter is quoting from the Psalms there in Psalms 34, and, and it won't be much surprise to find a lot of quotations from the Psalms and from the Proverbs referring to the way that we talk, since so much effort and so much attention is given there. But he says here that for those who would desire to see good days, those who love life, he's not talking about necessarily the physical life that we live here. The goodness of the days that we have. You oftentimes hear people say, oh, I remember the good old days. The goodness of days that he's talking about is a goodness in relationship to the relation we have with God. He says, for those that would desire those things, let them refrain their tongue from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. And so that's the, maybe the first thing we would ask is, well, what is that evil tongue, that evil speech? Peter answers it with that first, as he quotes from Psalm, those who use lying words. The Proverbs also talk about this. If you want to hold your place over here in the New Testament, and we'll be flipping back in just a moment, but if you turn over to Proverbs chapter 6, <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 19, he says there, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren and as he refers to them, he's referring to these things that the Lord hates. Go back up to verse 16. Six things the Lord's hate, yes, seven are an abomination to him. So this, this evil speech, the idea of one who lies, who sows discord, this is something that God has no love for at all. He hates it. It's an abomination to him. Back over in the New Testament in Romans. Romans chapter 16. <clears throat> Read with me there in verse 18. Uh, we'll, we'll actually start in verse 17. He says, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. As he talks about those who, who in their speech, in the way that they talk, they deceive others. So that goes with that lying words, those deceitful words. These are words that are evil to the Lord. They are words that He does not desire to be on the lips of those that would follow Him, those who would love Him. But also in Ephesians chapter 5, he takes, Paul takes this a step further. Not just those who use, who use deceitful words, not just those who lie, but those who, what he refers to as speak in a filthy way. 
Look in verse, um, starting in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 5. He says to be imitators of God as dear children. Well, how do we do that? He says to walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. We've talked about that concept quite extensively throughout our, our classes here on Sunday morning, that we need to be imitators of God by imitating the love that, that he had for us as seen and exemplified in Christ. But then he goes on a little bit further to talk about our, our, our language and our actions as well. He says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, which is the same thing as idolatry, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So whenever we talk, our talk must not be talk that is filthy. It carries with it, that, that word carries with it the idea of, of literally talking about bodily functions. We don't need to go into those to know what it's talking about there. Whenever we use words related to our own bodily functions, that's not something that is necessarily supposed to or, or, or flow with the words of the saints, with the words of those that are, that are following God. He says that not to use foolish talk. We'll talk about that in just a moment as well. But he also says not to use coarse jesting. That coarse jesting, it ties directly back to the, that filthy language. It's that idea, you've probably met those people who will say something that's just so, so off the wall, so, so disgusting, and he's like, but oh, I was just kidding. It was, it was just a joke. That doesn't, that doesn't justify the language that we use, the fact that we were kidding or not. God is saying there is a language that is befitting of the saints. And there is a language that is not befitting. And this evil talk, this lying and deceiving and using filthy words, profane words, that is not befitting of the saints. Another way that he talks about those who speak evil is found in 1 Corinthians. Turn back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we find a... a a way that in which we can speak evil that is probably more difficult for us than we even realize. In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he goes on to list those that would fulfill this, this uh, description of unrighteousness. He says, Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That word revilers, it is the same type of, of language that is used about those who gossip or those who tear down others with their words. That is the idea of reviling. And that's put right up there with murder and adultery and homosexuality. Our words are significant in the eyes of God. And so he says, don't speak evil of others. Don't revile others. Back over in the book of Exodus, we have another example of that. Exodus chapter 22, and in verse 28, it says, You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. Jude would also mention this in Jude 8. What's he talking about here as he talks about a ruler of your people in Exodus? Well, Jude in, in, in verse 8 says, Likewise also these dreamers defile the, the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Who are these dreamers that he talks about? Back up in verse 4, he says, Certain men have crept in unnoticed, 
who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. These are the men that he's talking about in verse 8 who are defiling the flesh, rejecting authority, and speaking evil of dignitaries, speaking evil of those who are in authority. And certainly this, this could, in, could talk about those who are in authority over us directly. Maybe if there, were, if there were elders over this congregation, speaking evil of those elders, that is uh, certainly one thing that it's talking about here. But how much more so, or I mean, excuse me, not much more so, but, but also those who are in authority maybe over the country. You know, four years ago... Well, not quite that long, but, but the last presidential, uh, or the last president of the United States, Obama, had a lot of people reviling him. And I imagine there were Christians reviling him, speaking evil of Obama. And I go and tell you right now, it's not a surprise that there are people today who are reviling Trump and speaking evil of Trump, even those who are, who are Christians, but aren't, aren't, aren't fans of his policies of the way that he talks and the way that he runs the country it can be very evil or very easy for us to speak evil for those who are in authority and we need to remember that God says those who do so those who revile are those who are marked for condemnation those who do not have a place in the kingdom of God but also when we speak evil of those around us as well not just those who are in authority. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus spoke quite a bit about the way that we talk in Matthew chapter 5. And he said in verse 21, You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. What was Jesus saying? He was saying the same thing that Paul was saying. If you revile those, even those around you, if you speak evil of those, of your brethren, of those in authority, that pretty much it kind of includes everybody in that, in that language there. If you're speaking evil of them, then you're in danger of hellfire. You're in danger of, of being unqualified. And I use that in the sense that I know that none of us truly are qualified, but rather qualified by the blood of Christ. But yet, if we revile those around us, we take the blood of Christ and we make it of no avail to us because we are not speaking in the way that we should. This, again, is common speech for our day. This idea of reviling. We talked about, about the president. Politics is a huge place that you see reviling. You start talking about politics, you start talking about what, what other people believe is the best route for the country, and it becomes very easy, and especially in a workplace scenario. Um, I, I remember seeing it so often to, to just really speak evil about those that, that are in charge, about those that believe differently than you. Politics, business, all sorts of places that we see a common uh, occurrence of evil talk. The next one that I want to look at is what we'll call careless talk. The overuse of words. And, and how fitting for a preacher to be talking about overuse of words. I mean, try to keep these sermons shorter so that we're not overusing, overusing my words. And you try to use wisdom with choosing my words in the way that I speak to you. But we can actually be guilty of speaking too often. And, 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 and this idea of overuse of words. Look over in James in James chapter 1, 
James is going to speak there about true religion. And he says in verse 26, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Useless if you're not bridling your tongue. Riders and, and, and faith, both are taking classes on, <coughs> excuse me, on horseback riding. That's one thing that they're going to be learning, or I imagine they've already learned about, is bridling something. That is the way in which you control that horse. We need to be in control of our tongues. This is what James is saying there. If we're not in control of our tongues, rather we just let our tongues carelessly flap out there in the wind saying whatever they want to say, our religion is useless. In fact, in, in chapter, later earlier in chapter 1, in verse 19, he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That's the very idea of being the opposite of careless talk. To be using our words too hastily. Be very quick to just throw that word out there. And if we want to turn back and look at some other chapters that talk about this in Proverbs. Again, I told you there would be many passages in Proverbs that discuss our talk. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. I might just say that whenever there's a bunch of words out there, it's not hard to find sin in them. But in verse, uh, but the latter part of that verse, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 29 and verse 20. <clears throat> 29 and verse 20. goes on to say, Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for, this, than for him, than for this man. So again, the proverb writer agrees with what James is saying. And James agrees with what the Proverbs is saying. And they are in harmony when they say that we can be guilty of overusing our words, speaking carelessly, saying things off the hip, off the fly. But we can also misuse our words in the sense that, that uh, we use them in the, in the form of flattery. In the, in the form, form of building up things and, and deceitfully building them up. While you're still here in Proverbs, look at Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs 12, verses 1 through 4. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of wicked intentions he will condemn. A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteousness cannot be moved. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she, uh, but she who can causes shame is like rottenness in the bones. I read Proverbs. I apologize. I wrote down Psalms. Psalms 12, verses 1 through 4. I should, I should make my abbreviations longer. They wouldn't look so much alike. Psalms 12, verses 1 through 4 says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongues that speak proud things. Who have said with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? That kind of seems like it goes against the things that we're talking about. We're not supposed to be irreverent in our speech. We're not supposed to be evil. We're not supposed to be careless. But here the psalmist is saying, don't flatter, don't, don't talk well of someone. Well, no, that's not what he's saying. He says that, that those who speak with flattery and a double heart. You have those that, that kind of have the idea that it doesn't really matter what I say because I'm a smooth talker. I can talk my way out of it. I can, I can schmooze them a little bit and make them feel better about themselves and it doesn't really matter the things that I say. Back over in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about, about also with this, this careless talk. 
<coughs> going away from the idea of, of flattery, of, of being a, a smooth-tongued devil, as we might sometimes call them. He's going on a little bit farther to talk about the way in which we make our oaths with others. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37 he says, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And this also reflects what James says, uh, or I should say James reflects what Jesus says in James chapter 5, verse 12, when he basically repeats what Jesus said there in verse 37, telling them not to swear, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Uh, Jesus is telling them, you be very careful with your words. You be very careful in what you choose to say yes to and no to. And he's speaking specifically to the context of the, the Pharisees, who at that time would say, yes, I will do that. I swear by the, by the temple that I will do that. And when it came time for them to do it, they would say, oh, but I, I didn't swear by God. So it's okay. I don't have to do that. I can, I can go back on my word. And Jesus was saying, don't you understand? The temple is the house of God. The earth, His footstool, Jerusalem, His city. And even if you swear by your own head, by your hairs, God is the one that controls those and his, those belong to Him too. So no matter what you swear by, you are swearing by God. So instead, just be honest. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't be quick to make oaths and careless to make things that you can't, you can't follow through on. Think about your words. And then he also says to not use unwholesome words. And maybe this passage, Ephesians chapter 4, maybe this passage fits in for all of these three categories that were talked about. The idea of using wholesome words. Ephesians 4 verse 29 <clears throat> says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. When we think of wholesome words, you think of wholesome food. Food that is good for the body. Food that is nourishing. Unwholesome food. Filling our bodies full of, of junk food and and, and all sorts of things that, that slow us down, that build fat, that, that aren't making the body stronger. We understand the difference between wholesome and unwholesome foods. Do we understand the difference between wholesome and unwholesome words? Paul calls it corrupt words. He also calls those things that are necessary for edification, things that are good, things that are making things stronger, words that build up. We need to have that sort of talk. Not words that tear down. Not words that are not healthy for those to hear. And so that means we need to be very careful with our words. Not use careless words. Again, this is common everyday speech. And probably the careless words are more common in, in Christians than, than maybe the irreverent and the evil. But they're just the same. Careless words are words we need to make sure are not a part of our talk. And then finally, we have the gracious talk. That is those who are the opposite of unwholesome, those who are wholesome, those whose speech leads to edification. Again, Ephesians 4.29 says that. It says that words that impart grace to the hearers, that those words that build up, those words that encourage. Colossians speaks a great deal about this. We'll, we'll actually look at the book of Colossians uh, uh, several times here uh, in the close of this lesson. But in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, 
He says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each other. That means the language that we use, the speech, the talk that we use, it needs to be pleasing. Now, that doesn't mean that if somebody doesn't want to hear something, we can't say it. Remember when, when what Paul said in Ephesians, necessary edification, words that build up. There's times when people aren't going to want to hear what you have to say, but you must say it to be edifying, to build them up, not to let them just continue to crumble, but to draw closer to God. But even when we say things that are necessarily edifying, it needs to be seasoned with salt. Jesus would say that we need to use gentle language. But we also need to have speech that rep re reflects our thanksgiving as well. Gracious speech is, is in the idea that we read about it in Titus. Grace, which is given to us to teach us how to be godly. That sort of speech is, is viewed in gracious speech. That sort of speech that helps people to become more godly. But also you think of the idea of giving grace. Giving thanks. We need to have thankful speech as well. Look over in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verses... Uh, in verse 3 through 4, it says, uh, we remember there it said fornication, uh, fornication, uncleanliness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. So he's speaking about that sort of stuff that is unfitting for saints. We need to find things that are fitting for the saints. And this is where we're going to get into Colossians. What sort of talk is fitting for the saints? Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. In chapter 2, in verse 7, it says, Rooted up and built in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. In chapter 3, in verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. In verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. I think Paul is trying to get something across to the, the readers of this letter. I think he is trying to say something, and I think he has chosen his words carefully. The word thankfulness, thanksgiving, thanks comes up over and over and over again in this chapter because that is the sort of talk that is fitting of the saints. So what sort of talk wouldn't be fitting of the saints? Look over in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Gracious talk is talk that builds others up to be godly, to do what is right in the sight of the Lord and gives thanks to God for who He is, for what He has done. Now, these languages are common, irreverent, evil, careless. They're common languages. But this one, that one is uncommon in our day. There are so many times that we find people who, who are, are very quick to speak in evil, irreverent, careless ways. But how often do we hear people speaking with grace and their tongue. We need to aspire to become gracious talkers. The talkers God wants us to be. Besides from the fact that we know, as Jesus said, we are going to be judged by our words. We also need to consider some other reasons why it's important to use proper talking. One, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, we read that. Our words reveal our hearts. Whenever the, the word, out of the abundance of our hearts, the mouth speaks. So what we are saying comes, tells everybody else around us, that's what's really in his heart. 
But we also need to remember that from where our, our words come from, out of our hearts, that has an effect on other people. So oftentimes we don't think about the consequences of our hurts. Proverbs 26 tells us in verse 28 that lying and flattering can be destructive. In Proverbs 16, 27 and 28, in Proverbs 17 and verse 9, it says gossip creates strife and destroys friendships. Proverbs 11, verse 9 says neighborly relations are destroyed by our tongues. I told you the book of Proverbs is filled with, with instruction on how to speak. And in fact, James would call the tongue a powerful poison. He would say that it sets a, the, the, the forest on fire with just a small flame. So you often, maybe you think of that, that little phrase that, that, that kids sometimes use, you probably used as a child, sticks and stones can, hurt, or can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I don't know who's, who, who came up with that little ditty. I don't know where that came from, but that's as far from the truth. That's as far from the gospel as you can get. Words can hurt. You could talk to the thousands of teens every year that would say words hurt but they can't because they've ended their lives. They've taken their lives because of the words of people, the words of their classmates, the words of their parents. We need to understand the importance of proper talk so that we can reveal a good and honest heart, a godly heart to the world, so we can avoid hurting others, but rather building them up and blessing them. Again, and we won't turn to all these, but Proverbs 15.1 says that good words cool down heated conversations. Proverbs 12, 25 says good words comfort the anxious. Proverbs 15, 4 says good words delight those who hear them. And of course, as we read in Ephesians 4, 29 and Colossians 4, 6, good words offer grace to the hearers. Do our words impart grace to the hearers? The potential for so much harm, the potential for being judged by our words should cause us to say, I need to make sure my, my talk, my speech is proper. And if it's not, how do I get there? How do I, I have better talking? And the first one that Jesus talked about in chapter 12 of Matthew, we've already read was when he said, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. We need to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of, the, out of it springs the issues of life. And, verse, and chapter 16 says, The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learnings to his lips. We need to be watchful of our hearts. That phrase, garbage in, garbage out, comes to mind when we think of guarding our hearts. What are we putting into our hearts? The things that we see, the things that we hear. We teach the children that little song, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little ears what you hear, and your hands and your feet where you go and what you touch, what you do. Be careful because all of that ends up in our hearts. If the music that we listen to repeatedly it makes fun of God or it uses God's name without reverence, it uses vile and disgusting language, it uses careless talk, what do you expect to find from your mouth? If the shows that we watch and the movies that we see are filled with, with filth, that's what we're putting into our hearts. And from the abundance of our hearts springs forth from our lips. So how do we have better talk? We guard our hearts. We treat our hearts as, as, as precious and then we guard our lips. Proverbs 13, he who guards his mouth preserves his life. Proverbs 21, verse 23, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. 
And again, Ephesians 4.29, over and over again, we'll be going back to that. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Not only do we need to be careful what goes into our hearts, we need to be careful about what comes out of our mouth. And to do that, we have to think first. We have to spend some time thinking of the consequences of what we say. I'm always reminded of a friend of mine, a preacher who, who would say when I was younger, over and over again, I got so sick of hearing him say this, and I finally realized he was saying it because I needed it. He said, Kyle, you can't unring the bell. You've got to remember that. Once the, once the hammer strikes the metal, the ring will sound out, and you can't ever bring it back. It goes throughout the land and everyone can hear it. We need to realize the consequences of our word. They're like the arrow, but once it's unleashed, it can't be brought back. We need to give thoughts to that. But probably most important, we need to pray. And pray. And pray. Every morning and every night. Pray the Psalm of 141 verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Pray that the Lord helps you to speak with grace and with kindness to others. We should never forget, when we consider how well do we talk, never forget the power of our speech. It has the ability to hurt others. It has the ability to hurt ourselves. But it also has the ability to build up, to teach, to encourage, and to bring glory to God. As we examine our spiritual well-being, let us give prayerful attention to the way that we talk. And maybe always have the psalm of the words of David on our lips and in our minds. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my, uh, my strength and my redeemer. In just a moment, we are going to sing number 85, Sowing the Seed of the Kingdom. And we understand what that means. To sow the seed is to tell others about the glory of Christ, the truth of the gospel, the message that is for them that they can be saved from their sins. In just a moment, if you have not had an opportunity to, to obey that gospel, to come to the Lord seeking that forgiveness, to be changed from that old man that lived in sin, that lived in darkness, but to be risen anew through baptism, to be washed of your sins, you're going to have that opportunity. And I encourage you to take, take advantage of that opportunity. But for many of us who have already done so, we need to ask ourselves, are we sowing the seed of the kingdom with the words that we speak? Do the words that we speak sow a, sow a seed that looks to God as the holy God that He is? The God that is above all other? The God that is more important than the, the amazing trick that we just saw in the Olympics? than the bad news that we just received, the God that is deserving to have His name revered and used with holiness? Are we sowing the seed of the kingdom that says the talk that we talk is going to be talk that only builds up? The talk that we talk encourages and doesn't hurt, but rather gives grace to the hearer. If there's any way this morning in which we can help you to become a child of God, to come to Him for the forgiveness of your sins, or if you have struggled with, with some of these things or, or others as well that you need the prayers of the saints here, I encourage you, don't wait any longer. Come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.